Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And uh, today is a day that we're going to begin kind of a new series. And uh, unfortunately, the way we do the broadcast is going to be broken up. But I want to share with you uh, over the next several weeks, beliefs that I think every believer should have. And I've got 30 of them that I've come up with that every believer should have. And I could probably come up with 100, but uh, I wanted to cover 30 beliefs that I think every believer should follow. You know, as I think about um, the directions that we take in our lives, I've always been intrigued to figure out why people follow through and go down a particular vocation, especially those who serve in ministry, because as I think about ministry, I discovered that there's some people that go into ministry because, you know, they like the title or they like the praise of men. And and some choose ministry because, well, I guess they needed a job. They thought that was a good way to make money. And some choose it because, well, an opening became available. And then some choose ministry as a vocation because it's a family thing, right? And some choose ministry because they are truly called of God. And that's what Paul did. Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, along with Timothy, my brother. So when I look at these different beliefs, Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers And he wants to drive home one single point, and this is something that every one of us must believe and have a firm belief in, is that God is real. Uh, God is not a figment of our imagination. We didn't create God. God created us. And if you don't believe that God created us, you will always try to come up with a way to create another God that's in your own image. Listen, we were created in the image of God, and if we don't believe that and we don't follow through that with our lives, we will spend our entire life creating an image of what God is. And they're looking awful lot like us. Now, Paul started the church at Corinth during a second missionary journey. And he stayed there for quite a long time. He was there for 18 months. And he lived with a wonderful young couple, a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And we know from Acts chapter 18 that they were fellow tent makers with Paul. And, and they were also helping Paul and planning churches. And, and so we discovered that Paul, every Sabbath, He'd go to the synagogue, and and that's where he would preach, and and not the way that we think of preaching. It was more of a dialogue, more of a presentation of ideas. And so in Paul's case, he would present the gospel. Now, Paul was very successful, and he had this ability to attract crowds. And so a large crowd of not only Jews, but Gentiles gathered around, and very soon we discovered that the Gentiles are actually outnumbering the Jews, and the Jews aren't happy. And as they see all these Gentiles gathering together in their synagogue, Paul actually gets kicked out of the synagogue. And uh, somebody once said, never trust a guy who hasn't been fired or kicked out of something, right? And uh, if you're doing God's will for your life, you're going to have occasions when you get kicked out of something or you're asked not to return, okay? Well, one of the men who was actually converted under the ministry of Paul was a guy by the name of Justice. And Justice was a guy who had this wonderful conversion experience. He lived right next door to the temple. And so when Paul got kicked out of the synagogue for preaching, uh, he says, well, let's just go meet at this new convert, Justice's house. And then he continued on preaching there. And soon the crowds were overflowing with converts and the church grew. And, uh, you know, I don't know what you think about when you think about the Apostle Paul, but in my mind, he's one of the most unique people that have ever walked the face of the earth. And so he writes this book of 2 Corinthians, and he wants to comfort the church because they're they're paying dearly for their strong belief in God. And so he says, I want you to know that God brings you comfort in your time of trouble. You know, when I talk to people going through a hard time, I I remind them of this verse in 2 Corinthians 1-3, that in our times of trouble, God brings us comfort. 
And the reason he gives us that comfort, so obviously we can receive comfort, but also that we can pass that on. A strong belief in God is a strong belief that he's going to cover us in our times of trouble. A strong belief of God also reminds us that God corrects us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, you know, uh, as I look at the punishment uh, that is inflicted on somebody who's gone astray, and Paul is talking about a particular member in the church at Corinth that he referred to in 1 Corinthians who got involved in sin. And so they inflicted a punishment on him. I mean, they, they, the pendulum kind of swung back and forth. At first, they didn't really deal with the guy at all. And so Paul exhorts them to deal with him. And then they go the other way. Uh, they dealt with him so severely that they didn't want him to come back into the church, even after he confessed his sin and even after he was uh, granted forgiveness. And, and Paul says, you don't, don't overwhelm this guy with excessive sorrow. And maybe you're listening to me today, and I have seen kind of a strange phenomenon taking place. And I don't know if it's a a major problem within the church, but I, I see some people that just refuse to forgive a brother or a sister in Christ. And sometimes it it happens within a marriage where the husband or the wife just refuses to forgive. And the husband or wife that has created the offense is doing everything possible uh, to get on the right track, but bitterness has come in and and, and that refusal to forgive. And, And Paul says, anyone you forgive, I also will forgive. And what I have forgiven, there is anything else to forgive, I will forgive. In order that Satan may not outwit us. In other words, when we don't forgive somebody else, we are actually playing into the game of Satan and we're unaware of his schemes. So Paul says that, I'm writing this letter to you so that you'll be comforted in your times of trouble, so that you'll be corrected uh, when you are are getting out of balance with the matter of church discipline. And number three, he, he's writing this this letter in, in chapter number three, Second Corinthians, to inspire confidence. He says, you know, you believe in God and you have this confidence through Christ. And he says, I want you to know that we're not competent in and of ourselves. But our confidence, our competence comes from God. And he has made us ministers of a new covenant. I I love this. God has given us a wonderful ministry. We should be confident that God has given us this ministry. And this covenant is not based upon the letter of the law, because he says the letter of the law kills. It's based on the spirit that gives us life. And so Paul is saying we can be bold because we have confidence in Christ. There's a fourth reason that Paul writes this to those who have that strong belief in God, and this is that they are responding to a call of God. Listen, maybe you're going through a hard time. Paul says, you know what? Second Corinthians chapter 4, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We may be perplexed, but we're not in despair. We may be persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We may be struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're always caring about our body to death of Jesus Christ so that the life of Christ may also be revealed in our body. Don't you love that, that calling that Paul has? Paul says, we've got this wonderful treasure that is within us, and we're just jars of clay. Paul says, we are alive, and we are always given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So death then is at work within us, but life is at work in you. Listen, God's called you to do some mighty things. Don't give in to the fear. Follow through with that calling. 
When you have a strong belief in God, you have a strong calling that God has a mission for your life. And then Paul says in chapter number five of 2 Corinthians that a change comes about in our lives. When we have a strong belief in God, we are no longer filled with fear. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 11, we know that it is what it is to fear the Lord. And because of that fear, that's not the bad word for fear, the good word for fear of respecting the Lord. Because of this, we have been changed. We have been so changed that we're trying to, we're trying to persuade others in the way of salvation. Paul says, I'm not doing this so that I can pat myself on the back. I'm doing this so that I can get the gospel out wherever I go. And Paul says, you know, some people think that I have done lost my mind. <laughs> Anybody ever think that about you, that you have lost your mind? And some of you might say, well, man, I have lost my mind. But he says, you know what? We're in our right mind. And we're in our right mind because of the love of Christ that compels us. We're convinced that, that he died. Jesus died one for all. And therefore, all have died. And as we look at this, there's a change that takes place in our lives. And we get on to verse number 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not just a, a different person, a totally transformed person, a totally new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. Listen, a strong belief in God will remind us that we have communion with God. And you know, when I think about this wonderful relationship that we have with the Lord, uh, maybe I've got some young people listening to me, and they're contemplating who they should date and who they shouldn't date, uh, who they should get married to. Hey, listen, the Bible is very clear. Don't miss this point. The Bible tells us that we're not to be yoked together with unbelievers because there's no commonality. Paul says, what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Listen, you don't have anything in common with unbelievers as you are uh, having this strong belief in God, this strong relationship with Christ. Don't date somebody who doesn't share that common belief. Paul also reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that we have a confession. And that is, we are confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. Well, I could go on and on. There's so many things here that we learn about this matter of having a relationship with the Lord. But let me kind of summarize it by saying this. If you have a strong belief in God, there's certain tests that you will pass. Number one test will be the test of authority. When you believe in God, you believe that he is the authority in your life. So how do you respond to those people that God has placed an authority over you? How do I respond to those over me? Paul reminds us that we're to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authority that exists has been established by God. So I want to ask you this question. If you believe in God, how are you responding to those who are in authority over you? Here's a second test, right? Uh, and when we have a, a strong belief in God, uh, there's a test of authenticity. Okay, as we look at this passage, uh, let's, let's look at verses 1 through 4. Uh, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and uh, 1 through 4 reminds us that we are to have those who are in authority, we're to respect those who are in authority over you. And then we'll go down to verses 5 through 10. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? 
unless, of course, you fail the test. He says, I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that he will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that they will know that we have not done anything wrong. Now, as we look at this, we call this the test of authenticity. And Paul says to examine yourself. And then he goes on by saying, we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And we're glad when we're weak, because when we're weaker, we're strong. And as I think about this passage, it seems so contrary to those who don't have a, a strong belief in God. Because we're thinking, if it's to be, it's going to be because of me. But when I have a strong belief in God, I realize that I'm weak. And when I'm weak, he becomes strong. And this is an understanding of who is the authority in my life and the authenticity of my life. And Paul says to examine yourself. And I think there's three ways that we do this, okay? I look in. Am I of the faith? Paul says you examine yourself. And as you look at examining yourself, uh, you're looking at yourself, and this is really a time of communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where I'm looking in to examine to see if I'm of the faith. Then I think you look out. Are my works authentic? In Galatians chapter 6, verses 3 to 5, Paul says, if anybody thinks that he's something when he's nothing, he is deceiving himself. Uh, so if you think that you're the cat's meow and you got it together, nobody's quite like you, uh, you are really only deceiving yourself. And so Paul reminds us that we should examine our own works, and then we have rejoicing in himself alone and in not in another, for each one should bear his own load. And so when we're examining ourselves, looking out, are the works that we're doing, are they authentic? Are they real? Are they genuine? And then number three, the third way that we examine ourselves is that we look up. What does God think? I love what the psalmist said. David cries out to the Lord in Psalm 139, and he says, Lord, would you search me? Would you know my heart? Would you test me? Would you know my anxious thoughts? Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Here we see that there's three ways that we examine ourselves. We look in, am I of the faith? We look out, how are my works? Are they genuine? Are they real? And then I look up and say, my Lord, I might have missed a few things. Would you search my heart? Would you know my heart? Would you test me? And as we think about that, we all have these blind spots. Even as we're looking in and looking out, the heart is desperately wicked, so we cry out to the Lord, Lord, would you search me? Would you know my heart? Well, we've talked about this strong belief in God. We've learned that there's this test of authority. There's this test of authenticity. And then number three, there's this test of acceptance. Let's look at verses 11 through 14. Paul says, now, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and the God of peace will be with you. And then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss, and all God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so here's this test. How do I treat fellow believers? I'm talking about those who are next to me, those who are in my small group, those who are in my church. How do I treat them? Am I able to exemplify my belief in God by treating them in a godly fashion? You know, when I think about the realness of God, 
God is real, and he has changed my life radically. And even if I don't believe in the realness of God, he is still revealing himself to me in two ways. Number one is through creation. You know, even this creation that is flawed and and is cursed, we see the beauty of God. We see the creativity of God in creation. It amazes me how we see God working in, in our creation. There is no way that we could have put all this stuff together. It is beyond our understanding. We don't even know all there is in God's creation. We are given a a very small sliver of the creation of God. God reveals himself through creation. But God also reveals himself to us through our conscience. As we think about the conscience, the conscience that God has given us reveals that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Now, we may debate what is exactly right and what exactly is wrong, but all of us believe that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Where did that come from? That came from our conscience. God has given us this conscience for us to realize that he placed that upon us. You know what Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers? You know, he, he's writing unto them, and he gives them a comparison. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, I'm not going to compare myself with somebody else. He says, when you measure yourself by somebody else, you're not wise, and you're going to boast beyond your proper limits. He says, we're going to continue to boast on what the Lord has done and how he has worked in our lives. He says, we're not going to boast on ourselves. We're going to boast on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul actually says, you don't want to go beyond the limits of your boasting. Now, this is an interesting point because I've discovered that there's always somebody better than me. And when I'm feeling a little discouraged, I can always find somebody who is worse than me. No matter how good you are, somebody's going to outdo you. No matter how many records you may break, somebody's going to break them down the road. No matter how bad you are, somebody will be worse than you. And so we don't compare ourselves one to another. We compare ourselves to Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, Let the one who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one in whom the Lord commends. You know, in the remaining minutes of the broadcast, I want to remind you of Paul's compassion. And Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Corinthian believers, he says, you know, if somebody comes to you and they preach to Jesus other than the Jesus that we have preached, or if you receive a different spirit than the spirit you have received, or a different gospel from the one that you have accepted and, and you put up with it, he says, easily enough, he says, that's not wise. And as he's talking about the compassion that he has, he says, I am the least, I am the least inferior to all these super apostles. He says, I'm an untrained speaker. And he says, I I do not have all the knowledge that they claim to have. And he says, I want to make this perfectly clear to you, that as I look at myself, my compassion for you is that you will know Christ and Christ can use me even though I'm inferior to the rest of you. Paul says that he's going to keep on going because of a strong concern that he has for them. As I think about concern, compassion, when we are weak, it is those times that God speaks to us. You know, when we look at the whole passage of Scripture that we're looking here, Paul breaks down the book of 2 Corinthians. And he says, when I was weak, I came to you in my weakness. I came to you when I was despairing of life itself in chapter number one. 
And then he goes and he looks at the ministries of, uh, of all that he's involved in. And, and he says, I am perplexed, but I'm not struck down. I'm, I'm going through some hard times, but I haven't given up because I have a strong belief in God. In chapter number six, he talks about how he was persecuted and how he's put into prison and, and how he suffered physically. And, and then he has a, a thorn in the flesh in chapter 12, and he begs God three times for it to be removed. But he says, God's grace is sufficient. You see, God gives me all the grace necessary to endure every problem that may come my way. And as we think about this, God wants us to trust Him with a strong belief in Him. Maybe you're going through a hard time right now, and and you can't seem to get past the difficulty that you're facing. I want you to know that God loves you unconditionally. He loves you in such a way that, that He will do anything to bring about your salvation. It's called the unconditional love of God. You know, I'm praying for a guy that's really going through a hard time. And as I'm praying for this guy, the first day that I prayed and fasted for this guy, one particular word came to my mind. It's a Greek word. It's a word that you may be familiar with, but uh, the word agape kept coming to my mind. And I think about that word agape. It's, It's unconditional love. It's the kind of love that God has for us. You know, you can never do anything that will be so atrocious that God will say, you know what, I I just don't love you anymore. Nor can you do anything that is so wonderful that God says, you know, you are an amazing person. I love you more because of what you've done. No, God's love for us is unconditional. And the reason I think this is so important is because the man who loves his wife is to have that agape love for her, that unconditional love for his spouse. A love that is not based upon performance. I've discovered that most marriages don't fall apart because of some major event that rocks the foundation of that marriage. Usually a marriage will fall apart is because one person has such high expectations that that spouse cannot possibly meet those expectations. And because the expectations are so high, uh, they can't even get themselves to the point where they will forgive that person. And they will take offenses instead of forgiving those offenses they will continue to become embittered by that offense. You see, their expectations are way too high. You know, when you get married, your spouse cannot be God to you. God hasn't called your spouse to be God to you. There's only one God. That role has already been taken care of. And when you have a strong belief in God, you realize that your spouse can't meet all of your needs. God never designed your spouse to meet all of your needs. There are certain needs that only God himself can meet in your life. I want you to know that a strong belief in God will give you a wonderful capacity to forgive others, will give you a wonderful opportunity to overcome bitterness in your life. You see, many years ago, I I got stuck, and I got stuck with this offense that I couldn't let go of. Uh, Somebody had done something to me, and you know, the offense right now really is not the important thing. As a matter of fact, the offense, as I think about it, was not all that egregious, (laughs) I just made it egregious in my mind because I kept nursing it and kept rehearsing it. You know, finally, I woke up one day and I says, you know, this is killing me. Uh, this is causing me to lose sleep. Uh, this is causing me to lose the power of God upon my life. Uh, this is causing me to, to run around with a bunch of resentment. And I just, there as I was driving down the road one day, I said, now, Lord, I need to be released from this. This thing is really uh, terrible what I'm thinking about this person. And so I just forgave that person, and I let go of that offense. And I remember exactly where I was. 
I was going down South Battlefield Boulevard, uh, right there by Hickory High School. And all of a sudden, it was like this burden that rolled off my back when I said, Lord, I'm going to forgive this person. I'm going to let it go. And you know, ever since I did that, I have not brought that offense back up. Oh yeah, I know it was still there. I haven't completely forgotten about it, but God has set me free. Listen, you can be set free too. Whom the Lord sets free will be free indeed. So who is it that you need to forgive today? You know, when we think about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love that he has for us, there is nothing that anybody can do against you that you cannot forgive. Now, you may not have a relationship with that person. Trust is a whole separate uh, topic. Trust is always earned. Forgiveness is a gift. Maybe today you just need to forgive somebody. And as you forgive that person, ask the Lord to release you from that bitterness to set you free. You live a whole different life, I promise you. You'll be happier. You'll be filled with joy. Uh, you realize that there'll be a, a, a joy in how you walk through your life. Now, listen, if you need some help with this matter, would you send me a text message? I'll give you a call, 252-267-2365. If we can pray for you about any particular matter, give us a call at 252-267-2365. If it's easy to shoot me a text, uh, that's probably the best way to communicate with me, 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today. I will talk to you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.